I'm Mike Ward and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a video series brought to you by DRG, part of Clarivate. This episode is one of a number that we're uh, recording alongside on Helix, uh, a digital conference that is being hosted by One Nucleus. In line with this, I'm delighted to be joined by Hakan Gorka, who is going to provide insights from uh, the investor perspective. Uh, Hakan is a vice president at M Ventures, which is a corporate VC with a, a mandate to invest in four, uh, four sectors that are aligned with the strategic interests of the German life sciences and advanced materials company, Merck. Um, those areas are healthcare, life sciences, performance materials, and new businesses. Hacken is in the, in the healthcare team, and they're investing in emerging biotechs that are developing uh, products and technologies that have the potential to improve patient uh, outcomes. Um, Ventures, in fact, been a strong supporter of businesses actually within the one nucleus region, uh, including Arteos Pharma, Cambix Therapeutics, F-Star, Macrophage Pharma, and Storm Therapeutics. Uh, so, Hakan, um, I hope you and those you care about are, are well, and, and thanks very much for, for, for joining me. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. So, uh, first, uh, you know, uh, 2020 has been a, a, sort of a strange time. Um, so I was just wondering, uh, you know, what have been the sort of the most immediate impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on M-Ventures and, and your teams? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, if we had the chance, we should kind of give the year back and get a new one instead. But I don't think it's like exchanging products in a store. So uh, we are kind of midway through 2020. Um, the COVID-19, I think, to everybody came as a bit of a shock that these events have always been kind of perceptively, at least on television only, um, in, in reality, actually, for many people. So um, from the company perspective, of course, like everyone else, we, we received it as a bit of a shock at the start but quickly um, uh, got into the new way of working um, from home, from uh, internet-based apps um, uh, to continue the interactions that we have. And the immediate focus, of course, fell on to um, the opportunities that we have been evaluating for an investment. There are portfolio companies that have been in fundraising, and we can expand on that a little later. And of course, those that were either commencing or in the midst of clinical trials. So those were the ones that, that we had to focus on in the first couple of weeks of the events that unfolded kind of late February onwards. Yeah, so, yeah and you're right. We, we, we will address uh, some of those uh, specific challenges. But looking at, say, for example, sort of venture capital investment uh, trends this year, um, yeah, compared with, say, for example, the first half of 2019, you know, it, it is interesting, given the, sort of the disruption associated with, with COVID-19, that there actually has been no significant change in either the amounts being put to work in, in biotechs across the globe. So I, I just want are you surprised by this or is it just too early to actually see the sort of the true impact of the pandemic at the moment? So it's a it's a bit of a yes to both of those aspects. So the, the investments that we have seen re being realized have been potentially in the cooking for a number of months before. 
So we anticipate that they were at the latest stages of uh, later stages of, of closing the investment, so they were done. I believe we may have a different outlook when we look at the at the mid-year and the quarter three numbers on, on investments that have been done versus last year. Um, on the other aspect, we don't really expect that investments will or need to slow down because there is still there is still adequate cash in the market that is that has been labeled for investing, and there has been no drop, of course, over a couple of months of interesting opportunities to invest. There has been a number of situations where certain companies may be delayed from one month to whatever a year in the clinical setting, perhaps. Um, but we all already see some movement on clinical trial centers opening, so that that delay has been pretty much limited. So I guess we'll have a better vision on exactly what has been the impact on COVID, at least in the immediate time, once we get to the numbers at the end of this month and quarter three. Yes, yeah, I guess there's a sort of a time lag between sort of the start and, and sort of the close of, of, of one of those investments. And, you know, what we've seen in the first two quarters is just a sort of the tidying up of, of, of earlier activity. How, though, have sort of the travel restrictions uh, sort of, you know, been in, impacting, you know, for example, your ability to either you know, identify or, or do due diligence on you know, new investment opportunities? Right. I think that's a very good point that 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 you pressed on there. So uh, quite a part of our job from the investing side is, of course, based on, on personal interactions from diligence to getting comfort with the management teams to, let's say, understanding the Gantt chart and development of the company we go through. So um, those have been more of a challenge in trying to get, get used to. So but less than what we expected, let's put it that way. So we invest globally and we're based in Amsterdam as the head office. So we have been pretty accustomed to trying to complete majority of the work that we do um, on, a, on a video or call or, or, um, or, or email basis. Um, the shock of you knowing that you will not be able to travel has kind of shook us a little. Um, but essentially, when it comes to the work that needs to be done, it was very, very positive. Let's say uh, more of a minority issue than 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 we anticipated it to be. One challenge that that we have found ourselves exploring further and further within our teams is that it's not actually the investment process itself, but actually recruitment for our companies that that at least we're involved in the recruitment um, recruitment committees or or remuneration committees especially at the higher levels in the company that we found ourselves questioning our own belief in in the interview systems and, and building trust in in the candidates when it comes to the C-level um, C-level job openings um, and we're still trying to go through that uh, on, on feeling the comfort and overall I think it put a lot more pressure on people to really make sure that they they get more and more used to the online ways of communicating, understanding that travel restrictions to some level may remain in place for the for the near to midterm future. Um, but that's something that we kind of made as a homework to ourselves to to make sure that we conquer it. So. Given the, the fact that you know, sort of value creation in, in biotech is, is 
highly dependent on you know progress either you know, in the laboratories or in, in clinical development. How has you know, social distancing and the sort of disruption to that we know of to ongoing clinical trials, or in fact the start of new ones, how has that impacted your portfolio companies? And you know what what have you got them to do to sort of you know, minimise uh, any effect? So. Um... So the pre-clinical companies um, have been lucky enough to, as, as you know, quite a number of biotech companies at early stages work on a semi-virtual basis with CROs and service providers in multiple aspects. So we have been lucky to have a portfolio that where the management has already, within the news coming out of the new, um, well, it wasn't a pandemic then, but early January, has tried to kind of replicate their service providers to Europe, US, and, and Asia. And what we found as the months passed by is that as some of them closed down, the others were opening up. So on the preclinical side, it went pretty much seamlessly, the development. On the clinical side, for companies that, that were aiming to start clinical trials, we had to re, let's say, rehash the plans to make sure that more sites were included with of course, at potentially higher cost, um, which again was more seamless progression. The ones that were affected most were the ones that were in the midst of clinical trials because recruitment has stopped. Um, clinical trial sites were either shut or the ones that are based in hospitals where we focused on to treating COVID patients. Um, so we have seen delays from three months to six months, and we will, of course, not know in full how recruitment rates will progress because part of recruitment is, is based on the activities of the, the recruiter, let's say, the, the, the service provider or the hospital. But quite a number of, quite a part of it is, of course, dependent on the patient and the patient families. Um, so we will not really know what how, how that will progress until we reach year end. But for the moment, we see three to six months of a delay that we hope will be limited at some stage as 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 the situation improves in certain geographies. And uh, I mean, does that sort of impact the amount of money that you can put into sort of new opportunities? The fact that you might have to be allocating more money to you know, existing portfolio companies. So for, for us, um, it has been a consideration um, that as, as every other venture fund, we had to have a number of crises meetings to see what the cash needs may be, what, what the gaps that may be that we need to fill as investor groups. A number of countries, as you know, has put in emergency funding, especially for younger biotechs that we encouraged our management teams to apply for, including the UK Future Fund, uh, as, as you're perhaps more familiar with. Um, and a number of companies, we had to take the decision on saying, here is a certain amount of cash that is available to tie you over to when the situation becomes better. A number of companies have already taken the action themselves. Um, in the semi-virtual stage, the, the, um, the usual burn of the company is not significant anyhow. And in most of our financings, there is a bit of a there is a bit of a um, bracket there that these companies could tap into to get themselves over a couple of months. If this situation, of course, went more than six months, then that becomes a significant cash delta that you need to fill in. So a number of companies, as I mentioned, have gone through some grant applications. Some of them have received them, so we're trying to execute those at the moment to give them more of a lifeline 
to to, um, to execute their their promised milestones um, as they move forward. Yeah, and uh, I mean again, so similarly, so biotechs are very reliant on your partnering activity, either you know to help support programs they've got, or in some cases to actually uh, move the assets on to to, to, to partners. Um, given the fact that this sort of the pit the op- the opportunity to pitch you know face to face is now very very restricted um you know, how much is this a potential problem for for for, for biotechs and what are you advising your management teams to do to to min- again minimize that impact yeah so um again a bit like the, the financings that we discussed many of the existing companies already have existing relationships with people in the pharma industry that are potential partners, collaborators, acquirers, transactioners. So those relationships have not really had much of an impact. Um, ongoing discussions, what we see in our portfolio is developing on track to finalization. Um, on new discussions or new companies, of course, it's a challenge. You have not met your potential partners. You have not had the chance to have personal interactions. So that then brings you back to how important kind of your messaging is on your written materials that perhaps before one would trust written materials in the context of verbal and personal presentation, which has been more, uh, more dislocated from each other. Uh, so clear communication and, and clear presentation materials have actually become to the forefront of what people should focus on. So that would that would potentially be my advice that we should at these times of let's say stress and perhaps some defocus, the presentations and messaging has to be absolutely sharp and clear to draw the attention to what you're essentially you're doing within the first couple of minutes of the conversation starting. It's a bit of an old story, but it actually really brings it to, to home at these times. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I mentioned in the introduction that you know, M Ventures activity is closely aligned with the strategic interests of Merck. Um, so it's not surprising that you know uh, see you involved in uh, sort of, you know companies that are doing oncology, multiple sclerosis, reproductive health. Uh, given the the sort of strategic, the fact you have a strategic focus, uh, which is different from, say, other uh, venture capitalists that people might be uh, aware of. What does what does success? How how do you measure success uh, for your for your investments? No, it's a, it's an it's an um, it's a good question, and it's it's a it's a repeat question um, uh, when we try to explain what we do. So we were set up in two thousand and nine. So we have been around for a number of years. Um, at the moment, we have 50 investments in various various businesses of the fund that the fund looks after. Healthcare being um, kind of half to slight majority in those investments as the oldest fund. Um, and for us, the initial investment is always with the sponsorship within someone in the organization that is high in research and development to say this is relevant to us. This is relevant to our future aims and. We support your recommendation that this should be an investment because we can see ourselves having a relationship with this company mid to, to near uh, near to midterm. Be that 
licensing or full-on acquisition, that's the aim. And, and you can probably cut and paste that to every other corporate venture fund um, that invests in the space that is strategic. Um, as, as we move along the investment, um, uh, our mother company is also aware that there may be changes in strategy in pharma. Um, and that should not affect our investment capacity or interest in our companies, which is a kind of short-term dream otherwise. Um, so for companies that remain in focus, our expectation is that Merck will hopefully do a deal of some sort with the company that they have invested in. Those that have fallen out of Merck's R&D strategy then we look at finance as, as financial investments as any other VC to make sure that we can grow the company and and deliver returns in line with venture expectations back to the organization. Okay, so so the so the search and evaluation process uh, and ventures is actually it starts with there is within Merck itself, they've identified a technological or a product challenge that they're looking for a solution. And then you go off and you hunt to see where you might find uh, that, that problem, uh, that, that solution for that problem. Well, yes and no. So there are certain areas which we're clear on, right? We have, we have high interest in immuno-oncology, oncology, immunity that kind of moves towards some muscular, um, uh, uh, muscular diseases like MS, it's, it's neuro plus muscular. Um, and then fertility, um, specifically IVF. Um, so those are clear, right? You can identify the things um, and, and that are that are already in need. We work very closely with our R&D organization, the strategy organization, so we're aware of what the organization is aiming at. We somewhat work, work independently from the organization in identifying our own deals. So there has been cases where we have actually brought in technologies and, and early platforms to the organization where they weren't thinking about it. Um, but we still got sponsorship saying this is pretty fantastic. It's a new area. We didn't think of it. We don't really want to do it in-house anyway. It's a whole new cost and expertise. So we would love to see this company progress. Um, so we have brought in things, especially in the RNA space, where the mother organization has had limited activities. And we have brought in a number of opportunities that we have invested in, in as portfolio companies in the hope that 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 will that Merck will will establish a relationship in the future. So it kind of works both ways. We bring new stuff in, and then we follow what the strategy says. Yeah. So, so I mean, you mentioned sort of the the R and A focus of, of, of in fact, uh, a few of you know, your your portfolio companies. Um, in response to COVID nineteen, uh, we've actually seen an increase in v, VC activity elsewhere uh, in digital health. Uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, diagnostics, vaccines, and infectious diseases. Um, are these businesses that, that you might also be interested in, you know, given the fact that they're not core to you know, Merck's interest in the, in the first place? I, I just wonder, you know, what would need to be in place for you to actually maybe go into one of those spaces? So, um, so from, the health, from the healthcare fund point of view, um, we do not believe that we're at a stage to change strategy to go into anti-infectives and antivirals. Uh, we do have a number of portfolio companies that work in cancer vaccines, RNA, autoimmune, and inflammation. 
um, bases which are all relevant events in, in COVID-19 patients. And those companies have started some activities to understand the applicability of their technology into trying to benefit the human health in this pandemic. Um, we as the Venture Fund have not decided, and I don't believe we'll move forward with any investments into a specifically antiviral opportunity. Merck, on the other hand, as the mother company, have, have developed various programs internally to try and see if their existing compounds would have activity in COVID-19 patients, or if their technologies, which they can help bring to the next point of delivery um, to help the pandemic. So there are various, um, various programs that have been put into place already late February, open to applications from biotech companies externally or other pharma companies to see if Merck and these companies can work together, opening up Merck's capabilities. As you may remember, we have the whole life science part of the business, which um, may be a bit of a misnomer, but Millipore, Sigma, manufacturing capabilities, um, libraries, etc., that have been opened up to, to, to give easier access to companies that are trying to develop in the space. Yeah. So that's kind of being done on the Merck side, and we are happy for our portfolio to explore COVID-19, but we will not be investing in time virals um, as, as a strategy as of today. Okay. So in recent years, I mean, corporate VCs have become, uh, you know, they've emerged as an important source of startup funding. Um, what are the advantages for a biotech uh, company, a biotech executive, from for taking money from you know a corporate VC, and also you know what should biotech CEOs or you know C-suite execs what what should they be wary of uh, when dealing with an investor that actually has close ties to a, a pharmaceutical company? Yeah. I mean, and of course, I'm a little biased. I'm part of it. Yeah, of course. And, um, but maybe I can, see, I can say what we have done um, with our portfolio companies that we help, help seed and create. So in addition to um, new investments, we also do a number of spin-outs um, from Merck Technologies or products that, um, that have been deprioritized or, or Merck has gotten out of, um, out of those sectors like Aceneron, Prexten, and Neurodegeneration. Um, to others in, 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 in fertility or gastrointestinal. Um, when we try and create new investments, um, perhaps what I can say, the benefit to the founders and the, and the entrepreneurs is that we work, at, at, we work to the stage that they're comfortable with, with our internal organization to have ideas around targets, how to get the chemistry done, what assays to put into place, what the costs of, of, of development may be in CMC, et cetera, et cetera, all the subsections, which you can take with a pinch of salt. There is pharma development, there is biotech development, and perhaps the, the happy medium is somewhere in the middle. Um, so we give open access to entrepreneurs, to our organization, to work with them in the points that they think they need help. Um, uh, we have a large network of people we can move pretty fast on due diligence um, to the deeper level, perhaps, than some of, some of our um, institutional peers. Um, so those are all the goodies that you can kind of tick box on, on what we can bring um, 
into a new investment. Plus, majority of us have been open-ended funds that were evergreen. And there is no limitation in 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 ten-year, ten plus two, twelve-year funds. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, I don't think anyone should expect that corporate venture funds should remain in investments for 15, 20 years. I think that's unrealistic as well. On the concern side, that that so perhaps the the um, the main point, which actually is a perception rather than reality, is contamination of IP. Um, that is that is a pretty key um, that is a pretty key matter. Um, and both the entrepreneurs and the CEOs of, of young companies and the pharma side has to be very clear that they don't cross-contaminate each other, especially if there's overlapping work on either side. And we established that through um, very, um, very um, strong firewalls between ourselves and the mother organization and ourselves and, and, the, and the investee companies. Um, Apart from that, I, uh, um, I, I can't really see any challenges moving forward, of course, until when an, an acquisition comes into place. Um, and at that time, of course, there has to be certain firewalls in place that, that numbers and names are, are exchanged in the appropriate way or not exchanged at all to make sure that it's maximized for the investee company. Yeah, yeah. So, uh you guys, I mean, you, you mentioned sort of, you know, the entrepreneurs, etc. You you have a an entrepreneur platform. Uh, I think it's, you know you've established one in Israel. How does that fit in with the sort of the the, the M Ventures investment thesis? Is that is that almost like a side, you know, a side show or? So um, we have established a couple of things in a, in a number of places um, uh, to help. Of course, Merck expand innovation and their access to innovation. Um, so we have an incubator in Israel that we have established a number of years back. Um, we, at the first and the version of that, we actually did the investments just ourselves. We would create companies, put management teams, provide the financing, and then open them up. And an example of that is a company called Metabomed in the human metabolism space. It's synthetic lethality as as the mechanism. Um, and in the when that program actually had quite a number of successes, we got approached by a number of people saying, "Can we do something together?" So we have actually established another program where we are co-investing with three other venture funds, one corporate and two independent um, VCs from Israel, um, to create companies together, to seed companies together, get the killer experiments done. If everything is positive, then we would move into the Series A. And we will do those as stealth exercises until until we can play that. We are trying to do that in China at the moment. We have the China Seed Fund of 13 million euros. Um, this was done just done at the end of the year, a bit of an unfortunate timing. Um, and we will see how that progresses, where we see quite a lot of opportunities and expanding our network and, and accessing information and, and innovation in that geography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if one looks at your portfolio, it's very skewed to sort of Europe and the US, and, and Europe. I also include Israel. Um, sort of, you know, Asia, I guess, is uh, is sort of white space or, or, or new opportunity. Um, I mean, interestingly, M Ventures has historically been very, very active um, backing UK biotech uh, companies, um, and before COVID. 
all conversations were around what is the impact of Brexit going to be. Uh, now that we know that the UK is leaving the EU um, and the fact that quite a lot of potential syndicate partners are very, very EU, uh, you know, they have EU focused mandates. What impact do you think Brexit's going to have on your support of new British startups? Yeah. So for us, the attraction of the UK has not diminished during Brexit and, and expected to be post-Brexit. So academic institutions are there. Um, the science is still stellar, like many other places around the world. Um, and there is an increasing number of entrepreneurs that are available to run companies. What we have um, discussed before is that recruitment may be a challenge um, due to people taking certain decisions because of, um, because of the eventualities of Brexit. Um, and syndication with other VCs could be a challenge with those VCs who have specific fund of fund investments within their funds that that dictate to them that they should invest certain percentage within European Union, which, which will then, of course, exclude UK as it does with Switzerland and, and, and Norway. Um, so that syndication part is still a question mark because we are potentially cutting out a number of VCs that have been historically investing in the UK. Um, on the other hand, UK does have a number of strong VC groups, independent, um, that we expect will fall into place as, as their investment agreements perhaps may limit them from investing in the European Union. Um, what we have seen as an additional development over the last six months is that there has been an increasing number of inroads that have been opened from very large VCs in, in China to European opportunities, UK, Europe versus US because of the CFIUS limitations, which has made some of these VCs focus more in, in the European region, including the UK, of course. So we will see how that balances each other out. But for us, perception and, and information-wise, we don't really have any limitations of why we should be investing less in the UK. Right. Okay, so well, that's that's certainly good news. Um, so, uh, so in conclusion, sort of, uh, sort of as a final question, given everything that's going on at the moment and sort of the challenges that uh, you know companies are facing, what advice have you got for uh, execs who you know will start looking, you know, start to look to access uh, you know finance at the moment? I think we've covered some of that before. So very clear and crisp communication, um, materials that can really explain what you're doing and what you aim to do with the financing that you're trying to access. And I would kind of reiterate, I don't think it changes much to what, what they were doing before, but trying to continue your existing relationships with VCs and people whom you expect financing from, um, continuing to build up your story within this group, with, the, with, of course, keeping in mind that, that some of the venture groups are truly focusing on their later stage companies that are going through clinical trials and prioritizing their needs versus new companies. So 
communication has to be kind of tripled, let's say. I'm, I may be exaggerating there, but it really, it really makes it a more of an achievable to make sure communications follow um, more freely and openly um, at these times where we cannot travel to meet people in person. Um, so that's probably that's essentially what we're following in, in the in the in our deliverables. So I would suggest that they also do the same when they are out fundraising. And it may take a little bit of time. So add some more add some more time to your expectations before that round comes together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so Hakin, yeah, I'd like to thank you for 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 joining me uh, and taking the time to talk to us. The yeah, the, so the insights uh, that you provided, I'm sure, are going to resonate with uh, a lot of a lot of the audience. So, in, cl in closing, I'd like to thank Hacken uh, joining me, and I'd also like uh, to thank the listeners for for tuning in. If you'd like to hear other conversations in healthcare, um, follow our LinkedIn page because that's where we will be posting alerts to uh, future episode releases. So, until next time, stay. Uh, safe, stay healthy. Uh, I'm Mike Ward and I'll see you in the next episode.